We're, we're in our series for Lent. Um, our last Wednesday was our Ash Wednesday service. And, and those of you who attended, I, I know I had a great time in our Ash Wednesday service. And it's always great to go to a service where you don't have to do a lot. And I didn't have to do a lot. Josh carried the load, and I appreciated that. But we just had a great time together. And I just sensed God's presence in that service as we, it was primarily scripture and, and communion and, and, and some singing and just had a great time. But it, it's the beginning of Lent and, and Lent is this 40 day period, not including Sundays uh, before Easter. And it, it, is, it comes from the ideal Jesus in Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11. And we're gonna be preaching through that in, um, I believe June will be in that. But, but Jesus goes for 40 days before he enters into the ministry for 40 days of tri- temptation and fasting in the wilderness. And, and so the early church has kind of taken this, this period of time, this 40 days, to, to, to spend some time considering Jesus and considering the suffering of Jesus. And, and so I think it's important for us that, that, that we consider life. Now, now, this isn't a biblical quote, but I think it's good for us anyhow. Socrates said, the unconsidered life is not one worth living. And, and I believe he's right. I, I believe that if we never consider our life, if we, if we just go through life without thinking about what we're doing, it's just not a life worth living. And, and, and we can get caught up in our generation particularly, because we can fill our mind and we can fill our time with entertainment. Uh, we, can get, we can get so consumed with Facebook and what's on Netflix and what's on Hulu and on, what's on television that, that we can fill our time and we can fill our mind with other things and never consider life. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. Every once in a while, I need to just fill my mind and not think. What, what's the old saying? Sometimes I sit and think and sometimes I just sit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes you do just need to sit. But, but the considered life is important, that, that we should take time to focus on what we value, uh, to, to, to look at where we're spending our resources, to, to consider who's influencing us, to, to consider the relationships of life, to, to stop and consider the direction we're headed. <laughs> uh, I, I think when we're, we're, we're intelligent, God gives us a mind and the ability to reason. And I think sometimes we, if we just would take the time, we, we can look at our values, our resources, what we're doing, our relationships, and we can begin to track where we're headed. <laughs> And I think it's important that we take the time from time to time to do that. And this series is, is called Rethink, and, and the ideal is we need to rethink our lives. In this series, in this period of Lent, we need to rethink our lives, particularly in the light of the suffering service, particularly servant, and particularly in the light of Jesus, we need to rethink our life. And when I say rethink, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to change. You know, it's, it's not about change. It's not about new for the, for the sake of new. It's not about doing something different because we've done the old stuff so long. But, but we need to take the time to consider and think and rethink about our life. Amen. There's a couple things that I think we need to be aware of. And, and why rethinking is necessary from time to time. And, and why periods like Lent are important and new years are important as we rethink our life. The first thing is the danger of drift. You ever zone out? 
How many of you zoned out right now? Raise your no, don't do that. You ever zone out? And, you know, you, you ever drive somewhere and then just all of a sudden you're like, you know, 30 minutes into your drive and you say, where am I going? <laughs> Anybody do that? I do that all the time. And I, I do it more and more the older I get. The other day I took Spencer to school and, uh, and so I drove up to the, to the front of the high school and, and I pulled, I, I was intentionally pulling past the crosswalk because we're always at the last minute. Sarah, he's not in your class first, right? I don't know how the kid has been on time every day because he's on time, but we're never there on time. And so uh, I pull up past because I know if I, if I stop by the crosswalk, I gotta wait for kids to cross. And so I'm thinking, well, I'll go past the crosswalk and I went by the crosswalk and I just kept going. And Spencer's like, Dad, what are you doing? You know, we just, we get in that zone. And, and so it's possible to zone out. And in our zoning out, I believe it's possible. And there is a danger in every one of our lives to zone out and just drift. To just float with culture, just float with, with, with what's going on, just to float with the most um, significant influences you have in your life, to float with what they're saying on TV, to float with whatever. There's a danger of drift. And, and rethink, when, when we stop and consider, we pay attention to those areas of our life where we're drifting. I think there's the familiarity blindness. That, that the more you're, you're in a situation, the more acceptable it becomes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, now at, at Trenton, we had, the church I was at before, we had bats. And when I say bats, I don't mean baseball bats. We had rats with wings uh, that would get into the church and get into the attic space. And, and so there were areas in the church, um, have you ever been around bats? <laughs> they can leave quite a mess and quite a smell. And so there were areas that you could really, it stunk. And when I first went to be the pastor, you know what? I smelled that and that was urgent and that was important. But the longer I was there, the less I smelled it. Andy Stanley says, time in decreases awareness of. And so there's this, this thing that happens in our life that, that the longer we're in a situation, the longer we're in a relationship, that the longer things are a certain way, the more used to it we get. So, so you know those, those cracks in, in, in the foundation at your home that you saw when they were first there, you no longer see. You know, in, in the church, you know, you have things that, that we're just used to, but maybe if you were visiting, you'd say, why is that there? So there's familiarity, blindness, and then there's just this danger of drift and rethinking, taking intentional times. And this is an intentional time. If you follow the church calendar at all, this is an intentional time, a 40-day period where maybe you fast something. And, and I liked our, our Ash Wednesday, we fasted on and feasted on, uh, that we replaced the things we replaced the things we were fasting on with things that we were feasting on. But one of the things that you're supposed to do is in your fast, you're supposed to consider life where you're at, what's going on. And, and, and so rethink and, and, and consideration works against drift and familiarity blindness. It applies to every area of life. It doesn't just apply in our, 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 our life with Christ or our church life or our spiritual life or our, our, our attention to religious duty or however you want to term that. It applies to your relationships. It applies to your work. It applies to your school. It, it applies to your physical body. That This ideal of rethinking and consideration to, to add value to your life applies to every area of life. 
Now, now I tend to believe, and every once in a while we'll, we'll talk about our spiritual life and our physical life or our secular life. I, I don't think God sees a spiritual life and a secular life. He sees life. <laughs> And, and so in my philosophy of life, it's not as if I can get my relationship with God right and then I'll work with other things. My, my relationship with God determines all these other things. That, that it's, it's all encompassing. Yeah, I don't have, and you say, well, yeah, that's right. Your, your job is a pastor. But, but, but I believe even if I wasn't a pastor, even if you're, if you're a layman here today or a laywoman here today, I don't believe there's a spiritual life and a secular life. I believe there's life and God wants all of it. And so when we stop and reconsider what life should look like and what relationship with God should look like, that affects every relationship that you have. It affects your workplace. It affects your, how you deal with the community. It affects how you, you treat your neighbor. And everybody say, oh, shucks. And it, treats, it affects how I treat my neighbor. Yeah, that's right. It, it affects every relationship that you have, this relationship with God. And, and so this, this 40 days, is, as we're, we're considering our relationships, we're considering our relationship with God and our relationship with others. You know, God, Jesus says that the, the Ten Commandments or the law boils down to two things. Love God with your whole, whole soul, whole mind, whole strength, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's all in the relationships that this works out. Second Corinthians says this, examine yourself. To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. And so I believe in the life of every believer, there should be periods where we stop. It doesn't have to be 40 days, I guess, but that's the period of Lent. We should stop and say, okay, where am I in my faith? God, it's all right to, to, to point out, I, I want you, God, right now, to show me where I am. How am I doing in my relationship with you? And we're going to do this through this series, and I'm hoping you're doing it in other ways outside of here, through the guise of the suffering servant, which is a passage in Isaiah. Uh, some include uh, Isaiah 52, 13 through 15 in this passage as well, and, and some don't. Some's just Isaiah 53. When, when, when I think about Isaiah 53, and this isn't going to be on the test. Uh, well, there's no test, never mind. But, but I can remember... Sarah, when you were at Mount Vernon, did you have to do Old Testament literature? And did you have to quote Isaiah 53? You didn't. We had, when I was in school, we had to quote Isaiah 53. And the, 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 the bookstore at the school sold Isaiah 53 pencils. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that I bought an Isaiah 53 pencils, but I know some that did buy Isaiah 53 pencils. That seems like cheating, doesn't it? Uh, but let's read it together, Isaiah. And this is longer. We're going to start in Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that as any, as any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. And then beginning in Isaiah 53, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Our focus today will be 52.13, where it says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up. He will be raised and lifted up and highly Exalted, and, and through the remaining portion of this series, we'll be dealing with separate portions of the suffering servant. And, and, and we're going to start with this ideal of C. The, the ultimate goal of any service that, that we have here as, uh, at Marysville Nazarene, the ultimate goal is see Jesus. It's the focus of Lent. It's the focus of any service. In a very Wesleyan understanding, I believe that transformation occurs as we see and are in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so as we gather here in this room, you know, it's great that we see each other. It's great that, that we sing songs that we know. But the most important thing that I can do, you know, I, I love to preach. But, but if in my preaching it does not bring you into the presence of Jesus Christ, then we are missing the point of being here. It's not about speaking to your mind. It's not about just changing your mind. It's, it's somehow in looking at the Word of God, we see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, transformation occurs. The Hebrew writer says this, Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, so I want us in this series, and I hope in all our preaching, that, that we see Jesus. 
and all of our singing and all of our praying and all of our study groups and all of our serving, serving may people see Jesus. And, and so we're going to try to see Jesus. And, 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 the, and the scripture I read is a scripture about Jesus. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah is, tell, Isaiah is telling us what Jesus will look like. And so we're looking at life through the lens of Jesus. And there's several things that we're going to look at. And today we're going to talk about wisdom and success. We're going to consider what wisdom is and success is in the light of Jesus. The scripture says, see my servant, he will act wisely and he will be highly exalted. And so the question today is, what is wisdom? And what is success? Now, now, I want you to understand that, that as we talk about as we talk about the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant, the, the, the anointed one who would suffer and die, that, that this is completely different than the expectation of the people of Israel for their Messiah. They had this expectation of Messiah as conquering warrior, of ushering in the kingdom of God, of ushering in a fresh Israel, a new Israel, a redeemed Israel, a restored Israel, a country with power and authority and finances and influence. And so when Isaiah is presenting this picture of a suffering servant, a suffering Messiah, it is completely contrary to the image that the people of Israel would have had or desired of the Messiah. See, see Jesus was counter to the culture or the cultural expectations of Israel. And I want you to know today, even now, Jesus is counter-cultural. So, so we can't We can't neatly fit Jesus into our culture. You can't. There, there is a difference with our culture and the norms of our culture than Jesus. And so when we try to live in the, in the stream of our culture and in the stream of Jesus, you will always come into conflict and either culture or Jesus will win over. Jesus is countercultural. Cultural. And he calls us to live in a way that is countercultural. And when we talk about wisdom and we talk about success, Jesus has a different vision of that for you and I than perhaps we even have ourselves, or the world certainly has. What is wisdom in our world? Wisdom is authority, right? Wisdom is the answer, man or woman. Answer, uh, wisdom is. Being your own person. Wisdom is knowing all the right turns to make. Wisdom is being smart and being able to, to make all the right decisions. And, and what is success? Success is having, as some say, the most toys. <laughs> success is having power. Success is being able to take the whole winter and go to Florida. And Lord, give me success, okay? Success is power. Success is influence. All of these things are the definition of wisdom is, of success. Wisdom and success. Uh, success is, as Frank Sinatra saying, success, success is doing it my way. Okay? 
All these things, and, and, and I don't think I'm off there. I, I think that is a cultural version, vision of success. But to Jesus, wisdom and success was wrapped up in the word servant. Um, servanthood equals wisdom and success. No, no one in our culture would say that a servant is the image of success. No one would say, hey, what I want to be most in my life, when I grow up, I want to be a slave. I want to be a servant. I want to be the lowest. I want everyone else to tell me what to do. Nobody would say that. And yet when we go through this passage, the, the definition of wisdom and success is wrapped up in this ideal of servanthood. And Jesus lived this. Jesus says in John 6.38, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And so all of Jesus' life is wrapped up in that ideal that, that Jesus didn't come and die on a cross because you, he loved you. Jesus came and died on a cross because it was the will of the Father and the Father loved you. Everything Jesus did was based on the will of the Father. If the Father would have said, okay, it's not worth it, come back. You're not going to die. You're just going to return. I'm going I'm to take you right from this mess because it's not worth it. Guess what? Jesus was here to do the will of the Father. Praise be to God that the will of the Father was our salvation, right? And so in the garden, Jesus is wrestling. And, and what's, what's, what's the thing? Not my will, but your will. Because I am a slave to you, God. Whatever you want to see accomplished is what I want to see accomplished. Whatever your will is, I want to do it. So what do we learn? See, we're followers of Jesus, right? If you're a follower of Jesus today, say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Say it with me. I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I, I look at life, and, and I do life through the lens of Jesus. And, and however Jesus does life, I believe that's how I'm supposed to do life. I'm a Christian. I'm a, the, the phrase literally means a little Christ. And so if Jesus was a suffering service, a servant, if this is the definition of Jesus, it's got to be the definition of my life as well. Wisdom and success is found in in living the will of God. It, you will not be defined by the size of your house, the size of your bank account. You, you will not be defined by, by the power level you achieve. You will not be defined by the promotions you receive at work. You will not be defined by how many people like you on Facebook. How many people have Facebook that, that you're friends with that you don't know who they are? But you are defined by doing the will of God. Amen. That's your definition. Yep. And wisdom and success is wrapped up, not in all these things that the culture tells us or where the culture says wisdom and success is found, but it's all wrapped up in finding and living in the will of God. 
And the rest of this passage, we, we look at what does Jesus teach us about power? What does Jesus teach us about self-identity, reputation? What, what does D Jesus teach us about suffering? What does Jesus teach us about death? What does Jesus teach us about waiting? And, and what does Jesus teach us about victory? And over the next few weeks, we'll be exploring all of these things. So the question today is, how do you define wisdom and success? How do you define it? Be honest. Don't yell it out, but be honest. I mean, think in your mind. I, I will be successful when. How do you define it? See, we push against this. If, if we were honest, we would say that, that there's times in all of our lives where we push against this ideal of being a servant to God, a slave to God. Oftentimes, we, we hold on to our personal sovereignty. Anybody ever say when you were a child, you're not the boss of me, right? Anybody ever say that this week? Uh, you're not the boss of me. You know, we like to do things our own way, and, and we like to set the agenda of life. And, and God's saying, no, I, I want to set the agenda of your life. Maybe this morning you're still trying to figure out where God fits. And, and probably this isn't the most inviting thing in the world. But can I tell you, when, when our perfect Heavenly Father sets the agenda of your life, the agenda of your life will be right. Amen. Nobody sets agendas better than God. Uh, every once in a while, He scares you with His agenda. Amen? <laughs> but God's timing's always right, and He's always good. We don't always see in the moment but I can't think of one time in my life when God's not been true. And maybe you've been wrestling with just saying, God, okay, I'm going I'm to be sold out to you. I'm going to be a servant. I, I'm going to find a relationship with you, and I'm going to let you set the agenda of my life. Maybe, maybe at some point in your life, you've done the sinner's prayer, and and, and, and you're trying to live in relationship with God, but, but you're trying to live, and, and there's so many believers, there's, there's so many people that do this. You're trying to live where you're receiving these benefits from God, but you still want to do your own thing. And maybe your life's just chaotic as a result. And, and maybe today's just a day as you start Lent that you need to begin to to determine, have you submitted your full life to God? <laughs> um, we call that a lot of different things. Sometimes we call that entire sanctification, this ideal that we're just going to give God everything and we're going to allow God to take our life. And, and the truth is, there, there's some in this room today that, that really you just need to say, Enough. You're, you're tired of just doing things on your own and you're just going to give it all to God. Maybe you've got some drift going on or some familiarity blindness. And there's some areas in your life that you, you really need to closely examine. 